Hello, and welcome to a Faculty Spotlight series on educational technology and pedagogy at the Yale University Porvoo Center for Teaching and Learning. Let's get started. Community building within a course is a call for humanity amongst students and teachers. Nilay Hazari provides students in his Introduction to Chemistry course opportunity of relevance, support, intrinsic motivation, and inclusion. Throughout this conversation, you will discover ways Professor Hazari utilizes community to develop students and provide them with 21st century life and career skills within and beyond the curriculum and world of chemistry. If you could just start off giving me just a little background about yourself, the courses that you teach. My name is Neelay Hazari. Uh, I've taught a variety of different courses in the chemistry department. These range from our introductory general chemistry course, which has around 230 to 250 students in it. It caters to people who may never have taken chemistry before just for chemistry majors. So these may have about 20 to 30 students in them. And then probably the final class of instruction I've done is graduate courses, which have predominantly graduate students in them and a handful of undergraduates. So normally it will have 20 graduates and a level in a kind of the last formal class, a graduate student just interested in hearing about my experiences teaching the large intro course. And for that reason, I'll probably focus most of my responses to what I do in that class. But it's certainly true that I do different things in the different classes based on the students who I'm trying to educate. How do you design and customize your course site and curriculum to assist achievement as a core framework? Someone in the Porvu Center once told me that your course's organization matters the most to students' outcomes than anything else that you do. I am by nature an organized person. So what I try and do on my course sites is I just try and make sure they're very organized and they're very rational in their presentation. And I like to think about it the same way I would organize my filing system on my computer. So my graduate students feel like they could find a document on my computer because my folders are sufficiently clear that they could work through it and find whatever they're looking for. And so I try and set up my canvas in exactly the same way. Anything that's on there, I try and put in a very logical fashion so a student could say, I need to know where my problem set is. It's going to take five seconds to find that because I can follow the course site. And to some extent, you know, the same thing is true in my lecture. I try and so that a student recording, a student who's looking through their class notes can readily viewing for. A lot of times instructors put all the things that they think are most important at the top. And then all the little things, you know, kind of just go to the wayside or find themselves. But I I can visualize, and maybe you can elaborate more on this, but that you see everything as equally important to get to the end. It's not like this is this biggest piece and this is like everything is organized to the way that 
if this is a module and you have to know five things in this module, all five things are equally important in order for you to get to this end goal. I, I think there's some truth to that in terms of concepts for the class. I think this conversation is in itself helpful for me because sometimes I think I equalize things a little too much. So for example, I'm thinking, say a student needs to know when an exam is, they have to look at the syllabus to find that. And so they have to go to the syllabus. But now when you're telling me about this hierarchy, it might be useful just to have that information broadcast at the top of my Canvas page, because mm -hmm. that will make it easier for the students. So I think with course content, I definitely think I try and have everything equal. And sometimes it's true that students will sort of be, oh, when is the exam? And I'll reply politely over email or however I'm communicating with them that this is when it is. But now I'm realizing that I make them look at sort of a folder and then a document to get that information. And mm -hmm. that's the kind of information I maybe should be highlighting. When we have the opportunity to talk about things, we didn't realize conceptually how there's so many other options that we can do things. But it's good to know that the perception of the students is that they still find the benefit of the functionality of your course. So because they still see how great what you're providing oh. is, and then you still have good communication skills so they feel comfortable enough to ask you the question instead of just being like, oh, I got to figure it out on my own. Which kind of brings me to my next question. In what ways do you use your communication to support student voice in your course? Yeah, so I think this is something that I primarily do in lectures. So even though I tell in it, which to some extent limits how students will interact with me, where I'm going to have extensive back and forth with any individual student. It's just not possible with 230. So I try and do it in my teaching, right? So the first thing I do is in lecture one, I try and talk about the fact that we all have different identities. And for me, that involves Yale and what my identity is. And that includes sort of my identity as a university faculty member, but it includes my identity as a parent and things like that. And not all faculty members are going to be comfortable talking about things like that, and they shouldn't do it. But for me, I think it's important that I have the students recognize that I am a person with multiple identities and not just their chemistry professor, and that I will and not just a chemistry student in my class, they're a person. For that reason, over the course of the semester, and it's normally I post a calendar and just say, I have five spots available for lunch. If you want to come, come and have lunch. And we talk about all kinds of things, their extracurriculars, what they're passionate about, what they're struggling with. And it just lets them talk to me as a person because particularly in chemistry, the reality is, some large fraction of my students are petrified of me without even knowing who I am because they're just petrified about the concept of a chemistry professor. Mm -hmm. So anything that I can do to try and get allow them to express their own voice, I try and do so, realizing that I can't have conversations with students during lectures. Yes, uh, that's awesome. Uh, we... 
at the Portview Center, I can say that that's something that we push for a lot is for not only for faculty to be able to see their students as individuals, but to kind of break that barrier and say, hey, you're a person, I'm a person, we're both here for one thing to learn, but if we don't understand each other, then it's going to be harder to do that. So I do appreciate that that's something that you make yourself available to do outside of, you know, regular time. Like having lunch is with your students and just having general conversations allows for the conversations that you have with your content to be a lot easier than they would be if your students, like you said, are petrified of you because then they're like, oh, I had lunch with him. That means that I can ask this question during lecture because I don't have to worry about saving a question or hoping that he answers it later or, you know, something like that. For me, it's also, so I have 230, 250 people in the class. Even if I only have lunch with, say I have one lunch a week with five people, that might only be 60 people, which is a quarter of the class. It's small. But even if I do that, then a quarter of the class might tell their friends, oh, I had X experience. Mm -hmm. And then it makes their friends more confident to come and ask for help, right? Because the biggest problem at Yale is, or not the biggest problem, one of the problems at Yale with our teaching is that the students don't realize how many resources are available to them or they're scared of using the resource. They might be able to ask me, hey, I need help with this. And then I send them off to someone else who can deal with their problem. And dealing with problems earlier tends to lead to better outcomes for everyone. Yeah. With with that being said, once you have broken that barrier, you're kind of allowing them to talk more within your lecture, be more comfortable, like you said. So how do you use that strategy or what other strategies do you use to have them engage in the course or engage while during lecture? So engage during lecture, uh, we try and do a lot of demonstrations, mm -hmm. right? So I might explain to them about the density of gases. And then one way to demonstrate that is to breathe a light gas and breathe a heavy gas. And if you, when you breathe the light gas, such as helium, your voice becomes really high. And when you uh, breathe the heavy gas like SF6, your voice becomes very low. And so we try and do at least a demonstration a week. And the demonstration, you know, we obviously want it to educate people. But there is an element of entertainment associated with the demonstration so that they're wanting to come to lecture and they're engaged and they have a memory or they all whip out their phones and take videos or take photos that they can share with their peers. And it kind of builds some excitement uh, in the class. I have used uh, poll everywhere mm -hmm. questions. I would say I have tried to use it successful in getting the questions at the right level. It's something I need to experiment with. I feel that they're either too hard or too easy. One thing about uh, questions, and as someone who comes from teaching as well and using polls in class, you could never gauge how hard the question is going to be or how easy the question is going to be, especially when you're teaching new information because some concepts 
they get really quickly. So you ask them a harder question for the next concept, like, oh, they they really understand this. And then the next concept you have to go into more depth about, and you ask them a question that was just as hard as the previous one. And you're like, oh, okay, back to the drawing board. Now I have to, yeah. And the other thing is I try and talk about the relevance of chemistry to society in my lectures. And very briefly, because I have a lot of content I need to cover, and with the examples I use, I try and cover broad areas that people might be interested in over the course of the semester. So one lecture, I might give an example which relates chemistry to sport. And then the next example, I will relate chemistry to cooking or chemistry to cinema or chemistry to an environmental problem feel that chemistry is relevant is to whatever they're on the football team they can say that nearly explained why chemistry was relevant to deflate gate and whether or not tom brady deflated footballs <laughs> i can see how helpful that can be especially for someone who's never taken a course before I know you talked about using Poll Everywhere. Are there any other external apps that you use for content absorption or course organization or student voice? I think the one which I like the most, the Microsoft Teams site for my mm -hmm. course. And on that Microsoft Teams site, we have, say, a logistics channel and we have a chemistry channel. And I really encourage the students where possible to ask questions which are general to more than them on that team site. And it means we don't need to repeat information. Often they'll get an answer faster. So for example, going back to the question I posed before that say someone asks, oh, when is the exam? If they ask me at, email me at 10 p.m. at night, I'm gonna be asleep. They're not getting an answer back till I check my email the next morning. But if they post it on the team site, there's eight TAs, but there's 230 people in the class mm -hmm. who can reply and say, this is when the exam is. So you're much more likely to get a rapid answer. And similarly, there are often chemical concepts that another student in the class can answer or a TA can answer. And then they can look back at the history so they can see, oh, someone else. Else, So it's more expertise than just me. Yeah, that's awesome. The final question I have is what abilities do you want to cultivate in your students outside of content? So in terms of technical skills, then things like critical thinking, quantitative reasoning are very important. Can they logically solve a problem and obviously in this case we're solving problems through chemistry the reality is if i have 230 students in my class then only maybe five of them will become chemistry majors so these external skills it's very important that i teach them that because the reality is they're not going to be doing what i do and use that content every day for the rest of their lives so to overcome adversity through a subset of the class who this is the first time they're taking operate at the pace that we go in they haven't had a case where they don't get everything first time so maybe they need to figure out what their study habits are they need to figure out how do you actually have good exam technique 
and we try and teach them all of these things in the class. And then finally, from a really big picture perspective, I want the importance of science so that regardless of whether or not they become a scientist, they are appreciative that someone is working on that topic. Yeah, I can appreciate, especially the one of recognizing that not everyone is going to be in the same position that you're currently in. So you have to give them skills beyond the skills that you use on an everyday basis. And then the the gift of failure, I think, is big, like learning from adversity and learning. There are a lot of students at Yale who come from places where they've never had to fail before because they've just done so well. So giving them the opportunity to learn from their mistakes and learn actual study habits. There are a lot of kids who go to college and they've never had to study. They just get there and it comes very naturally. And then there's students who have good skills who can share those and utilizing something like your team's page where they can say like, maybe they've organized a study group before, maybe they, you know, found some camaraderie with each other and given those skills to each other outside of you putting them in the position to, I think is big as well. I really do appreciate you sharing all of this information. It was very important. Well, I appreciate what you guys do in the Poor Blue Center and thank you for your time as well. Thank you. Have a great day. You too. Thank you very much. If you'd enjoyed this conversation, and would like to learn more about our Faculty Spotlight series, please check out our website for more information at canvas.yale.edu. Thank you.